Good morning, Finding Life Church. We are continuing our series in the book of Luke, and we're looking at the life of Jesus as through the eyes and lens of Luke, the physician, who, as we saw in chapter 1, is wanting to write this to give an orderly account of who Jesus is. And so we've spent the first half of last year and the first half of this year looking at these different accounts, and it gives us an incredible picture of our Savior, of Jesus. So where we're at today is we're going to look at Luke chapter 19, but I want to set the stage for what's going to happen, a very familiar story in Luke 19, 1 through 10, and it's a story of Zacchaeus. How many know the story of Zacchaeus? What's the children's song that said Zacchaeus was a... So we're going to talk about that this morning. But before we do that, I want to back up a little bit into chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Luke, chapter 18. And we um, left off uh, right before we uh, encountered uh, two stories, or actually one last story at the end of chapter 18. And right before that, Jesus is walking with his disciples and he's telling again... Um, I think for the third time, about his impending that, that the Son of Man is going to have to be, um, you know, beaten and spit upon and all of that. And he's, he's going to die and he's going to rise again. And the end of that section, it says that, well, they didn't understand what he was saying. It's not necessarily that they didn't understand the words that were coming out of his mouth. It was more that they didn't understand how this fit in him being the Messiah and bringing and ushering in the kingdom of God to Israel. So it wasn't like they were dumb and say, well, I don't understand what you're saying, the words. Like they could probably recite, well, yeah, you're going to be beaten and, and you're going to die and, you're, and, and that kind of thing. It was more of, I don't understand how this fits, how this fits into what you've been talking about and the Messiah and ushering in the kingdom of God. And so that's that section, and then it goes into the end of chapter 18, where it talks about the story of the blind beggar, and, and see we see that Jesus is taking his journey, his last leg before he gets into Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jericho, and he encounters um, he encounters this blind beggar, or the blind beggar begins to realize that Jesus is coming, and so he shouts out for Jesus to have mercy on him, and. And the people that are around them are trying to shush him and that kind of thing. And Jesus hears and he stops and he says, what do you want? I want to see. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And the blind beggar is um, full of joy, full of praise. And he gets up and he follows him and all of that. And the people that are surrounding are praising God as well. And so we see in chapter 18 that, that Luke wraps this up in this particular chapter and he contrast the two, remember we talked about the rich ruler who has said, I've followed everything that you've commanded. I mean, what, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, there's one more thing that you need, and that is to sell all you have and to come follow me. And, and Jesus said this, as we learned in the book of Mark, that he said this in love. He really loved this rich ruler. But when Jesus said that to him, the rich ruler became downcast and he was sad 
because he was very wealthy and, and the money had a, a very grip on his heart, so much so that he couldn't let go. And he turned and he went the other way. And so Luke is con contrasting that particular story, the rich ruler who was rich in this life, but then when he encountered Jesus, he said no and became poor. To this blind beggar who had nothing, who was poor and begging and blind, and encountered Jesus in faith and said yes to him and ended up becoming rich. It's a very interesting contrast here. And then all the way through the book of Luke, we've been hearing this narrative of Jesus saying that the wealthy is going to be hard, so, so much hard in the sense that it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who was wealthy to enter into the kingdom of God. And they said, well, they were shocked by this because it was um, thought that the wealth of someone was a blessing. That's how God blessed people and how you knew that God was blessing you by how much you had. And so who then can be saved? And remember, Jesus says, well, with God, or with man, it is impossible, but with God, it is possible. And so this is the whole scene leading up to this very famous story in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. How many of you are familiar with the, um, the old saying or the proverb or the adage that a, um, a, one bad apple spoils the bunch? How many of you heard that? I'm hoping that all of you have. I mean, we use that with our girls a fair amount <laughs> in their life. I mean, it's that whole thing, right? If you put a rotten apple in a bunch of non-rotten apples that eventually... Um, that that rotten apple is going to infect the whole bunch, right? But if you were to put a, a, a non-rotten apple, a healthy apple, into a bunch of rotten apples, would that same thing hold true that this non-rotten apple infect the rotten apples and make them healthy again? No. <laughs> Scientifically, no. It's not going to happen. So that's the same thing that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we'll talk about that later, Alex. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees really held this same motto for them in the sense that they lived their whole life and, and really talking through all the Israelite people um, that, in essence, the dirty um, always affects the clean. And they were so enamored with that that they began to separate themselves. And in essence, I don't know if you've heard this uh, word picture, but they began to build a castle and they began to dig a moat around the castle and it had a drawbridge and they began to insulate themselves from sinners, from tax collectors, from uh, the poor, the needy, the prostitutes of the world. And they began to say, I am going to insulate myself so that I don't have contact with a bad apple. And they, in essence, became the gatekeepers to who were in um, their religious um, grouping. 
And so that's the setting that we come to with Jesus, that he's continuing his journey um, to Jericho. And we see he's passing through, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. And this is Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Zacchaeus, it's interesting to note, although Luke does not make a big deal about this, that the word Zacchaeus, the name Zacchaeus, means um, clean or innocent. And he was anything but that um, in his life at that moment. He was a Roman regional tax collector, or, yeah, tax collector, and he had paid a sum of money to be the agent to collect the taxes in this particular region. And so he was an administrator, and he had his um, people or minions, whatever, would go out and collect taxes. And, and what he would do then, in order to recoup the cost of what he paid, he would add to the tax that he was collecting so that he could make money. And so he was, um, in, in essence, he began to um, really enact, or yeah, this really high tax on what was already being taxed for the people that are around him. So he, needless to say, was not a very well-liked people. In fact, no one liked him in, this, in that area. And so he was a um, tax collector, a very wealthy tax collector that people did not like, which would stand to reason that if you were, as described in the book of Luke by Luke, if you were short in stature, he probably you know, had something dealing with his physical nature. Probably wasn't happy with that, maybe, I don't know. But he was more than likely lonely because if you're not well-liked by anybody and despised, then you're probably not going to be invited to a lot of events, parties, um, Sunday night gatherings, you know, meals and that kind of thing. So he was probably lonely, probably despised, um, and, and all of that. And so that's kind of where Zacchaeus is at. Um, a very wealthy man, a very um, fraudulent person who was also probably lonely and dealing with a lot of stuff on the inside. So going on in Luke chapter 19, we see that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see who he was. And so that gives us an insight into Zacchaeus as a person. Zacchaeus was curious, right? He was curious about all what was going on, what was being said, what he had heard about Jesus, this priest who was going around and healing people. He's curious, but he yet he does not know Jesus, doesn't have a relationship with him. But because he was short, um, he could not see over the crowd because the crowd was coming. He could probably hear the hubbub that was going on. And because, you know, he was shorter than the crowd, he could not see Jesus. And so he said, all right, there's some obstacles here. I need to figure out how, because I'm curious, I want to see him, how I'm going to um, solve this issue. And so he ran on ahead, and it says that he climbed a sycamore tree, uh, a sycamore tree that to see him. And so since Jesus was coming that way, here we go back into Luke chapter 19, um, since Jesus was coming that way, period. 
Jesus then made a very surprise move as he was going along his journey on the way to Jerusalem. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so Zacchaeus came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. An interesting response from a man who um, is a sinner, who is despised, who is fraudulent in his dealings, but yet curious. And so he um, was probably shocked that Jesus looked up and said him by name, and said, I want you to come down immediately, not just later or later on tonight, but right now, because I need to go, I need to spend time with you at your house. And so he welcomed him. On the other hand, the people that were around him had a much different response. The crowd was offended by Jesus' intention to stay with Zacchaeus. You can imagine what it was like for people to see Jesus interact with Zacchaeus, the one who had probably two or three times more than what they normally should have been taxed, had been taken from them. They despised him, and now here is Jesus. I mean, I don't know if you can feel the weight of what is going on here, but here is Jesus now and, and saying, I want to be and spend time with you, Zacchaeus, the most feared and hated man in that area, and they didn't understand. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner, of a bad apple. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now it's interesting to note the cultural context of what Zacchaeus is saying here. And it's really helpful to, to understand the extent of what Zacchaeus, the transformation that happens in his heart and the generosity that begins to um, be displayed in what he's saying. It was considered generous to give away 20% of your possessions to the church. That was considered generous. More than that was considered not prudent. So here we have, um, so the legal part or restitution for extortion at that time was 20%. Here we have Zacchaeus going beyond that and saying, I'm going to give half of all my wealth to the poor and to the needy. Not only that, but the people that he had um, defrauded, that he extorted from, oh, that's what the legal restitution was, 20%. He says, I'm going to double that and I'm going to give back four times the amount that I extorted from you. So he's giving half of his money away, and not only that, but he's also going to pay back four times the amount to the people that he has extorted, and he has, I'm sure, kept great records of that. 
Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so in this very short exchange of Zacchaeus, we begin to see that what was impossible for man, remember, Jesus had just got done saying and, and really talking about all the way previous in the book of Luke, that wealth, wealth, wealth has a grip on our hearts. And it's impossible, so much so that it'd be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to come to the kingdom. He's been saying that through this whole discourse, this narrative, and all of a sudden now, we have this last miracle of the blind beggar, and we have this encounter with Zacchaeus, and Jesus is saying, but listen, what is impossible for man is possible for God. And here we have a wealthy man who was curious and encountered Jesus and even though it doesn't say faith, the implication is there that his heart was transformed. So much so that he says, I'm going to give half of my wealth. I mean, that's just amazing to me. And then not only that, but every person that I have extorted, taken from, in excess of what was supposed to be, I'm going to pay you back four times more than that. And then we see Jesus' mission statement laid out for us here in Luke chapter 19, that he has come to seek and to save the lost. You see, Zacchaeus is an example, a very perfect example of someone who is curious and longing to see Jesus, just as the blind man did, and coming to faith in him, and being transformed. The gospel tells you and I that all of us are bad apples. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees believed that they were good apples. The prostitutes, the poor, the needy, the tax collectors are all bad apples. We need to keep our distance from bad apples, we need to keep them out of the quote-unquote good apples. The gospel says that we're all bad apples. There is none righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the gospel also says that this bad apple can become, it can become a good apple. And so even though science says that a good apple put in the bad apple bunch cannot produce that bunch to be good again, Jesus says this upside down, upside down life that we talked about last week is different. That because of God, because of Jesus, because of the cross, I can make a bad apple good because of Jesus. And then this bad apple turned good can talk to more bad apples and say, look what 
Jesus did for me. And that's how you begin to change that whole bushel of bad apples. The response in Zacchaeus, the response in the blind beggar, the response in all of the other stories we have previous to this in the book of Luke, the response of people who have encountered Jesus and have said yes to him in faith is what? Is one of joy. It's one of praise. It's one of gratitude. And not only that, but it's one of transformation. That their life has been radically changed. And Zacchaeus, even though that's a children's story, and even though it's a short story, pun intended, <laughs> thank you for laughing. You make me feel good. Um, it has incredible meaning to you and I because it gives us an example to follow of one who was curious. Jesus sought him, and Zacchaeus said yes to Jesus. And then in response to, out of joy and out of gratitude and out of thankfulness and all of that, his heart has been transformed radically. And, and John Piper says that um, there is this treasure... I can get this right. There's this treasure, what's God, Jesus, that turns treasures, our wealth, our people pleasing, all of that to garbage. And that to me is incredible. And that's what begins to happen. And we begin to do things that people go, whoa, whoa, what is going on here? I mean, it happens with my wife and I and our neighbors. And we're just loving on them. And they're going, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And that's what begins to happen. There's joy, there's transformation. And so one of the prerequisites of coming to know Christ is to realize that you stand in need of a Savior, to realize that you are this bruised and maybe moldy apple. And you need a Savior. You need Jesus to make you good again. There's a quote um, that a pastor on the West Coast said, and he said this, Jesus, Jesus isn't just a friend of sinners. He is only the friend of sinners. And so people who are willing to admit that they are a bad apple, that they have problems, and then they begin to recognize that the stuff that they're dealing with, they can't conquer on their own. They need someone to come in and to give them help and power and strength to do this. I mean, that's what that saying is. I read a story um, the, other, the other day that this writer, he, he took the story of Zacchaeus and he imagined what it would be like for Zacchaeus after Jesus went on and Zacchaeus was left where he was at. Can you imagine what that would have been like? 
I mean, Zacchaeus had this incredible encounter. He climbed the sycamore tree. People were mad at him. He, um, you know, is transformed. He says yes to Jesus, is transformed, and he has this new life. And Jesus goes on now to Jerusalem, and Zacchaeus is there. And so he wrote what he imagined an encounter would have been like if Zacchaeus would have gone and truly would have gone and, and did what he said he was going to do. And so here it is. I want to just want to read this story to you because I think it, it touched my heart. And so imagine that Zacchaeus is going to this house. He's knocking on the door. And there's uh, this, this man in the house and his young daughter's there. And she answers the door and she tells her dad, Hey, dad, there's a man at the door. And he said his name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, Judah's face flushed with anger. What does he want? And under his breath, he muttered, that little vermin. And his young daughter didn't need to hear that. And she says, I don't know. And so Judah went quickly past his daughter. His jaw was clenched. And he says, if that little weasel even hints at more money, I swear. And then a thunderstorm of violent thoughts came into his mind. And when he saw Zacchaeus, he exploded, what do you want now? And Zacchaeus reeled slightly from this verbal onslaught. And he said to Judas that I'm here to return something to you. What do you mean? And the tone sounded more like, get out of my sight. And Zacchaeus held out a small money bag. And Judas, Judah was suspiciously confused. And this man had robbed I mean, this man had robbed half of Jericho collecting taxes for Tiberius. No one in all this history was more conniving and slippery with words. And so fearing this was some kind of setup, as you can imagine, Judah didn't move. What are you doing, Zacchaeus? There's intense cynicism in his voice. And he goes, um, I'm going to give back to you what I stole from you. And Judah's fiery glare turned to stony bewilderment. And he says, what are you talking about? And he says, Judah, I know how strange this must sound. And you have every reason not to trust me. I'm here because I've defrauded you. I've charged you more taxes than Rome required and kept them for myself. I know that you and everyone else knows that, but now I'm come to ask your forgiveness for sinning against you like that and to make restitution. That's what's in this bag. And Zacchaeus held it out again. This time, Judah tentatively took hold of it. And he looked inside. And he says, there's a lot in here. It's got to be more than you overcharged me. Yes, it's four times what I overcharged you. I've got all the records. Zacchaeus smiled. So why are you giving me four times what you owe me? Judah's distrust was still there. Well, he says, I'm keeping a vow. I promised Jesus that I would repay everyone I defrauded fourfold. You mean the rabbi Jesus? You know him? I do now. He's in town, as you know, and the other day I wanted to get a glimpse of him, but being vertically challenged, I figured the only way I'd see him was from a tree. Wouldn't you know, as Jesus passes by, he stops looks up at me in the sycamore and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Judah gave him a puzzled look. 
And Zacchaeus said, I know, I know. I was as shocked as anyone. How did he know my name? So Jesus and his disciples came to my house, and in a matter of minutes, my world falls apart and comes together. And Judah goes, falls apart and comes together? And, and he says, and Zacchaeus says, well, Judah, when I was a boy, I was in awe of what I thought money did for people. It seemed to open all the doors to power and pleasure. And so I vowed to myself that whatever it took, I was going to be rich. And I kept that vow. Back then, I had no idea how empty being rich would be. But up until two days ago, I figured it was still better than the alternative. But as I sat in my home with Jesus and his disciples, who have nothing, nothing but God, Judah, I've never seen happier people in my life. And as Judas and as Jesus spoke, it was like his words were alive. And my heart burned with a longing for God that I've never felt before, and with a deep shame that I traded him for money. Then it hit me like a cedar beam. I'm poor, not rich. They had God, and I had a dead idol, money. They were rich, and now it's no more than a beggar. They were free, but the only doors money ever opened for me led to lonely dungeons. My world as I had known it fell apart. And there sat Jesus, looking at me as if he could read me like a scroll. Everything in me just wanted to follow him. I wanted the forgiveness and salvation he's been preaching about. And for the first, for the first time in my life, I wanted God more than and he says anything. Suddenly, it was like life never made more sense. Before I knew it, I was on my feet, vowing in front of everyone that, well, that I would dismember my idol. Give away your money? Right. Well, some of it's your money anyway. And this time, Judah smiled. Later, Judah's wife found him staring at a small money bag on the table. And she says, what's that? And Judah says, a tax refund. And she goes, a what? And he goes, well, I think we need to go hear Rabbi Jesus. And she goes, Rabbi Jesus, why? Because I think we're poor. I mean, that's the kind of interaction that I think probably happened. I mean, this guy wrote it to me incredibly well. I mean, wouldn't that grab your attention if, if Zacchaeus were to come to your house and say, here, I'm giving you four times more than what I have extorted from you. And you'd be going, what in the world are you doing? Why? And it gave Zacchaeus an opportunity to tell them about the encounter that he had with Jesus. And let me tell you, when you say yes to Jesus, when you say yes to him, and you are truly a son and a truly a daughter, that there begins to well up inside of you because you have said yes to this treasure that is God. And you have said that this treasure is better than anything, I mean, anything on this earth. Money, house, kids, wife, pets, whatever. It is better than anything And when you say yes to that, in, in essence, no to this, that there is this transformation that begins to happen inside of you. 
and this radicalness, this upside-down life that we've been talking about, and, and you begin to work on then that this whatever it is does not have a hold on my heart anymore. And you begin to demonstrate that because it's now it's gone from knowledge to the heart and now to the hands. And you're saying, I am going to demonstrate what the radical transformation in my heart has happened to be, to demonstrate it to you, the people that are around me. It's not to get. Sometimes there's this fine line between doing so that we can get, even from God. Well, I've attended church, I've prayed, I've given, I've tithed, which means then, God, you owe me health and wealth and prosperity. There's this line between doing for God to get rather than doing for God because of what he has done for you. In this story, we see that Jesus takes the initiative to seek and to meet people. We see that in the story of the lost son, the lost coin, and the lost sheep. That's Zacchaeus, that's you, that's me. Jesus sees what people can be in him. Jesus came to connect people with God. He came to seek and to save bad apples, the lost. And not only that, but Jesus transforms people's lives. He transforms them. And the question I have this morning for myself that I've asked this week, and the question I'm going to ask you this morning is, have you ever experienced the transforming power of God's grace in your life? I mean, I pray that you have. I pray that when you said yes to him, that you were overwhelmed with joy and with gratitude, and there was this transforming transformation that happened in your heart, and you began to do things, you began to live this upside-down life, and from that point forward, I'm sure for Zacchaeus, it was a continual battle to then now live the life that, when he encountered Jesus, happened to him. And that's no different than you and I. When we say yes to him and, and, and all of that, then from that point forward, it now becomes this battle. And we saw in earlier in, chapter, in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 8, where perseverance becomes a big key word for you and I. It says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So continue on. Keep going, keep going, keep going until I come back for you. You've heard this phrase before. Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. And in essence, he said, oh, by the way, all of you are sick. Some just didn't know it. See, Jesus wasn't out to prove how good he was or how bad you and I are. He just wanted to offer them hope. It's a very simple story. But I want you to understand is that if you are this morning 
And maybe you've been in church all your life. And sometimes I think the hardest people to reach are people who have been in church all their life and have never really ever fully given their life to Christ. Because they have said, well, I've grown up in the church all my life. My mom and dad did church and and I just did it with them. And And I suppose I'm a Christian but you've never said yes to him and you've never felt that joy and that gratitude and that transformation that's happened because you're just doing life morally in a church context. And Jesus is saying it's more than that. That's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that's what the people that were following Jesus when he encountered Zacchaeus were doing. It's different when you encounter me and say yes to me in faith. These are Jesus' words in the gospel. And that's what you have to wrestle with. Do you know Jesus? Is he your friend? Or does your history, your messes, your mistakes, or the fact that maybe you have are, are trusting in your church attendance and your morality. And really, I mean, what has that done for you? I mean, you're trusting in your messes, your mistakes, maybe what was done to you in the past. And Jesus is saying to you, just like he said to Zacchaeus when he validated him as a son of Abraham in front of all these people who thought that he was this horrible person, this tax collector, this sinner who could never, uh, we would never, the Sadducees and Pharisees, we would never lower the drawbridge for a tax collector to cross it so that we could raise it again and you would be part of our group. And Jesus says, no. I mean, really what it takes is for you to recognize that you are a bad apple, that you are a sinner. And really, you're just going to be honest with him. You're just going to be honest with Jesus. And you're going to tell him all your mistakes, and you're going to repent because he knows it all anyway. And you're going to ask him and say yes to him in faith. So following Jesus starts with seeing him, just like Zacchaeus, recognizing that you're a bad apple. The second thing that comes from the story is that real salvation produces real changes. And if there's not significant real changes, then I would begin to ask the question, did I really have that salvation encounter that I thought I had? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this very simple story of Zacchaeus that we have, in essence, reduced to a children's story and have dismissed. But God, this story you put in here for a reason. And it was at the end of this whole narrative, Father, of telling us that the things that grip our heart, and specifically money and wealth, 
that it's impossible to be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone like that, Father, to come to know you. And then yet, you surprise us with the story of Zacchaeus, a wealthy person who said yes to do so. God, you've showed us that it's possible. And I pray, Father, that our hearts will be softened this morning and not hardened. God, I pray that when we encounter your word, that we will not not walk away with hardened hearts, but God, that our heart will become softer and more pliable to you. God, we want to be real. We don't want to be fake. So God, help us to be honest. Thank you, God, for your son. Thank you, God, for his message. Thank you, God, for his obedience to the cross. Thank you, God, for the cross, and thank you for the resurrection, defeating of death, and thank you for the hope that we have through him by faith that one day we'll be there in heaven. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.